Hello and welcome to Dateline New Haven on WNHHFM, New Haven's home for community radio. I'm Paul Bass, inviting you to look at behind the headlines on the stories that make our community tick. Well, today, we're going to someone who's really been looking behind the headlines, going deep into the raw data that give us a picture of what our community looks like. Say good morning, uh, good afternoon to Kelly Davila, Senior Research Associate at Data Haven. Who have, they have a new big study out, nearly 100 pages about community well-being in New Haven. Good morning, and thanks for coming to The Independent. Yeah, thanks. It's really, it was really nice to meet you before we went on the air. I've been a fan of Data Haven since you folks started, since before you got here. People really trust that info. They say information is power. When government um, policymakers and government officials and advocates advo- you know, push certain positions, they're often drawing on your information about what's going on. So do you feel any heavy responsibility, big sh- weight on your shoulder, Kelly, that uh, you better get it right or someone's life's going to get messed up? Um, I think we're more just glad that people are using the information for something that they can you know, make effect and change. And more seriously, it's almost like you have to work hard to get people to care about asthma rates or income inequality or transit inequalities, correct? Yeah. It, when we can link those things together and make it a more cohesive story, I think people tend to listen a little bit more than if we were just like, hey, here's the asthma rate for this city you know, in mm-hmm. a vacuum. It doesn't really happen like that. I'm going to ask you to get much closer to the mic, like you're almost touching Mm -hmm. it. Use the word story, Kelly. Is your opinion as data a crucial ingredient of a story, and is the role of data miners, data collectors, data analysts like yourselves to create a story that we could tell about our community as a snapshot in time? Right. I think we are, we play a role in how people can use elements of the data to tell different kinds of stories. We ourselves, I think, want to make a point and that's you know the kind of overall goal of this study is to unite several different topics into one kind of picture you know a snapshot in time of a given location but um independently individually each of the you know chapters and graphics and stories that we are telling in this data to make our point people can use for another purpose and we see that a lot for example with grant writing people who are able to oh yeah uh, yeah use this information to you know acquire money to make an action actionable difference in their communities so if they say we want to take on asthma we want to take on uh transit green transit we ca- if we want to get money to do that, we have to show that there's evidence that there's a challenge, evidence that there's an issue that needs to be addressed. And it's kind of hard to find that evidence sometimes. Yeah, and it's certainly you know difficult to find like the intersection between, for example, transit and health. When people who are you know working in one of those one of those organizations or one of those areas, um, it, it becomes a much more compelling argument when they're applying, for example, grant money um, to show that like you know. A transit-oriented development could have a measurable impact on public health in addition to a measurable impact on the economy, et cetera, et cetera. How do you get people to trust you? People often say, I like the numbers that tell me the story I want to hear. Otherwise, we say that I was just cooked. The people had a bias. <laughs> I, I think we, we just have faith in the, you know, the quality of the survey that we put out and the quality of the information that we're using. I mean, we're also going to be the first people to tell you that data is a little bit outdated. I mean, no one, no set of data is up to the moment. Um, so we're always kind of looking back in time and we're always kind of um, beholden to however the questions in surveys, for example, are asked or what kinds of questions are asked. So there is absolutely room for improvement. Um, but, you know, we will we'll also, you know, stand behind the quality of the information, the quality of the statisticians, for example, like the Census Bureau, who are crunching these numbers and making them as reliable as possible. I remember you were the first place I turned when there was the once a decade census, and we were. What was interesting there was the story about I thought the 
increase in Latino population, not just in the city, but ring suburbs. Mm -hmm. So I, I do have your, your title, Kelly Davila, is Senior Research Associate at Data Haven. Do you have a, a term you prefer for what your profession is? Are you a data miner? Are you a data analyst? Are you a data geek? I think we um, we're kind of, or at least you know, I'll speak for just myself. There are other people at the organization, but what I do mostly is kind of um, put the story to human words that I look at in data. So there's an analyst component to that. Um, there's a little bit of data science involved in that, and there's also just kind of a policy mindedness that you have to have when you're trying to interpret the kind of important elements from a large set of data. Like is your fun book by your bedside the like 1999 to 2017 Brookings report on <laughs> trends and demographic change, no. urban change? No, no I, I definitely am the, uh, <laughs> the novel kind of person. Oh, me too. You know something, I'm immersed in news all day and 95% of the books are either novels because I need to kind of go off into space in those stories to talk about the bigger issues that we deal with on a human level. Right, yeah, and it also, I think, helps with, with being able to communicate, you know, writing in an effective and compelling way to be able to read something that's not just a, you know, white paper. I, and I also think that novels are truer if they're good. <laughs> that if you write it, you have to convince someone once you have the suspension of disbelief for like that it, there are space creatures in your midst or mm -hmm. that someone's still alive you thought died 20 years ago or something. Once you have agreed on what the parameters are, you have to convince something that the word, a reader that the words you're hearing are true mm -hmm. or that what two characters did to each other really happened, which mm -hmm. I think requires tapping into a, a, a larger cha challenge of making believable right yeah a story i don't yeah. know but anyway we got way off base. tell us about the community <laughs> well-being study so the data haven just released a community well-being study and if i have it right you had three versions of that greater fairfield greater hartford and greater new haven that yes. you went up to the state capitol recently and released it mm -hmm. tell us what the study is and why you released it at the state capitol um so the the information that we put in these books, and this is uh, the, you know, the third edition of them, um, is drawn from a number of different sources. And what we're really trying to do is, um, again, give kind of a snapshot, an overview of those three regions of Connecticut, which comprises you know, like about three quarters of the state and about three quarters of the population. Um, so the books themselves are kind of a compendium of different data sources that we're using in order to, to give a snapshot of how, what overall health and well-being, um, civic life, um, you know, environmental quality, how all of those things are, you know, kind of playing out right now in each of these regions. Um, so the study itself is funded by you know, more than 80 partners across the state, but um, the three foundations in those three regions, um, the Fairfield County Community Foundation, Greater New Haven, Greater Hartford Foundations, um, are all, you know, major funders in those. And part of the reason why we're writing in these regions is because they're using those and the organizations that work with those foundations are using these books. Um, again, for purposes like grant writing and, and uh, being able to tell a story behind, you know, whatever area of expertise they have and uh, making more compelling arguments for, you know, more actionable change in those areas. Um, but we also wanted to bring the attention of the book to um, state legislators who, you know, we work with some of them. Um, we have good relationships with, for example, like mayors in different municipalities, but um, <coughs> reaching out to, at the state level, you know, organizations or um different uh, government agencies who may also find the information useful. Um, that was part of the reason why we did it at the Capitol this year. And how much, so you said it's the third edition. Do you do this every year? No, every three years. Um, so, you know, those who are following along at home, 2022 would have actually been the year that we put it out. 2023 is kind of what happened. 
And a lot of the reason for that is because, um, you know, the pandemic delayed a lot of the information that we rely on for this report and we wanted it to be as up to date as possible. Um, so we included, you know, we, we wanted to wait for, for example, the 2020 census to come out, um, you know, more recent data. And so we can look at, you know, that information, but also that gave us an opportunity to uh, look at um, multiple waves of our survey data. So we've been running a statewide survey um, for, gosh, I think 2012 was the first one. Um, so we've interviewed more than 40,000 adults in Connecticut over time. And, you know, by, you know, incorporating multiple waves of that, we were able to, for example, run a, a short wave of that survey during COVID to see how people um, were affected by job loss or health insurance loss or just how they were infected by COVID itself. Um, so a lot of that information was able to get into this 2023 report. If we delayed it just a little bit, we could incorporate a little bit more of that stuff. So what'd you find? So there's the first really big picture of how we're doing since the pandemic what's changed and what's the current reality snapshot of our Gosh. health and happiness <laughs> i mean everything has changed right um it, it seems like it's such a cliche to even say that right now after after several years of, of ongoing post-pandemic kind of recovery but um you know the things that changed the most um wow i, I mean I, the first thing that comes to mind is housing and just the the cost of housing and how that has um absolutely skyrocketed i could um yeah give me a data yeah, point on i that. can pull your numbers quick and we're talking new haven right um this is going to be uh new haven county so mm -hmm. a little bit you know again that's another limitation of the data is that we're not always able to use our um our town level data in connecticut because the towns are so small the 169 of them in connecticut so sometimes you have to you know settle for a, a county level data point but it still kind of shows the story so um yeah, between 2018 and 2020, um, the overall, you know, rent and housing cost would increase about 5% per year. Uh, 2020 to 2022, that increased about 32% uh, for home prices and about 22% in rent. I'm sorry, how much for home? 32%. Uh, wow. Yeah. And how much for rent? 22. Wow. Um, and that's... Uh, Even know. though we had all that rental protection, I guess that had, did that actually jack up the prices? Yeah, well, it's it's difficult to really identify what the cause of that is. I mean, a lot of it is, um, I think, you know, I, I was also trying to buy a, a house during that time. And, you know, the, the not just the cost of, um, or not just the interest rates would continue to go up, but because the demand was so high, housing prices. I remember prices, that, and we kind of got past that a little bit. Yeah, and that, that has, um, you know, it, I think that was maybe a little bit more extreme in Fairfield County than it is in uh, Greater New Haven or Greater Hartford, but... Um, it definitely went up like crazy here. Oh, yeah, it, exactly. It, I mean, and then our rents, I wonder how much rent's got to be tied somewhat to that. I'm not sure how much. Yeah. Because rent's also cooling down last six months, correct? Yeah. And I think a lot of that, too, was, you know, just anecdotally, like, you know, the, the building that I live in here in New Haven, I was the only one here. Everybody else had gone home. So they're they're renting these units, but they're not. It's so funny. Home wasn't the neighborhood. Exactly. I mean, that's, you know, that's New Haven. Um, but you can... You can imagine that that had happened in enough places where there were um, occupied units that were, you know, effectively vacant when people went to go, you know, cohabitate with whoever, their parents, their partners, whatever. Mm -hmm. um, so the demand or the, the supply of available apartments kind of dropped in that point, too. So, so we're talking to Kelly Davila, who's senior researcher, research associate at, at Data Haven, which tells us all the facts and figures and puts into a story about our community well-being. They just put out their first in three years community well-being study about New Haven. You can get it at ctdatahavencorrect.org, mm -hmm. which is their website. Everybody can read it. It's free. Kelly, tell us some other um, 
you know, you, you looked at everything from economic issues, social issues, family security, housing, health and safety, criminal justice, education. Tell me something else that jumped out at you in this community well-being report. Um, another, you know, kind of important thing, and I think this is in part related to, um, you know, the pandemic recovery efforts, there was um, a really noticeable drop in food insecurity. A drop? Oh, yeah. because we were giving a lot of people free food. We were so worried people were going to go hungry, and we really mobilized for that year or two for all these food gives away. Is, is that what you're referring to? Um, yeah. So the um, pandemic relief programs, they had expanded... Um, SNAP benefits or SNAP eligibility in addition to there just being, um, you know, a bigger, I think, um, push to donate to food, food banks and right, things like so that. Right, so that's probably left out government policy there. Yeah. yeah, yeah. There was a huge impact on the policy there where what we saw in Connecticut um, in total, um, food insecurity dropped from 13% in 2020 to 10%. And once those programs went, you know, faded out, um, that total dropped up to 17 or went up to 17 percent for food insecurity so it was higher than pre-pandemic levels once those policies were wow. um, allowed to sunset so what was the 13 what was the 10 percent number what year that was in 2020 so that was or sorry 2021 that was um and when was the 17 percent number 2022 because they didn't really fully sunset yet i thought it was 2023 when a lot of the sunset happened um for food expansion for snap expansion i think it was just at the end of 20 it was the um like March, I think, of 2022. So basically, you're on Matthew Desmond's side. Oh. Matthew Desmond says that poverty is, and there's a debate about this, poverty, the main driver, it is just as a policy, whether it's the way we don't regulate companies that prey the most financially on people with least ability to pay. Two, we made a decision during pandemic to care about people for five minutes, and all of a sudden, people had more money, and they weren't hungry, and they weren't poor. And now they're poor and hungry again. Is that sort of where you come down on this? Yeah, absolutely. And apologies to Professor <laughs> Professor Desmond. I've, that book is by my bedside table, and I've not started reading ah, it. I know. Okay, you I do know. have a nonfiction <laughs> book by your bedside of table. Of course, of course. Yeah, I mean, okay. it, yeah. Um, <laughs> but yeah, absolutely. I mean, I think that he's in in that in that book especially. He's kind of putting to putting to term, you know, a lot of the we we like to talk about social inequality and, and you know, um, racial inequity and all the structures that perpetuate that. And I think he's putting that to a much more um, uh, specific point in terms of policy where, yeah, using that as an example, we clearly have the ability to alleviate some of the suffering that a lot of our you know, neighbors are experiencing. And then once we um, you know, decide effectively to stop doing that, then it's back to normal or he does have a normal. nuance though it's kind of interesting the right has seized on part of his research which is yes he thinks we should have kept the expanded earned income tax increase yes he thinks we should have expanded snap benefits but he said we've actually not become stingier on benefits we give mm -hmm. it's the other kind of ways whether it's the extra higher fees to cash a check with your paychecks you already start out losing mm -hmm. 10 or 20 percent of your money to the way predatory loans get you so much debt that you eventually lose your car, you lose your home, and you're in more debt than when you started. Mm -hmm. So I don't, it's a little unclear, I guess, when you, if you do read that book, let me know, mm -hmm. because it's a, he seems a little bit to be arguing both ends of this, that, you know, we should be more generous, we shouldn't be so stingy on the sa safety net compared to other Western countries, because we saw how we alleviated, as you mentioned, with mm -hmm. the numbers you just gave us, but that, in fact, since the great society, we do, in real dollars, pay more to help people, and it's the other ways that unregulated predatory capitalism right in the poverty yeah and and that you know is it's a big driver in i think a lot of the themes that we're seeing throughout um 
you know, throughout the book. So in, in, we talked about housing already um, and, you know, this these kinds of policy expansions that helped um, alleviate some burdens on, for example, um, you know, the eviction moratorium probably helped more people than um, we can really measure. Yeah. Um, you know, of course, evictions have gone back up and are now exceeding pre-pandemic levels um, since that moratorium sunset in 2021, I believe. Mm-hmm. Um, but also just in terms of like, you know, the, the number of jobs that were lost, what was created back again and what's being scaled back. Um, what are you finding on that in your report? Um, that one is a little less um, straightforward. Hang on just one second. And you listen to Kelly Davila, Senior Research Associate at Data Haven. They have a new community well-being study on everything from our social to economic to housing and criminal justice sectors, how we're, how we're faring. And you can get that at ctdatahaven.org. And I've been asking her for some of her um, bullet point highlights of the report about community well-being in greater New Haven. We're talking about whether evictions, housing, hunger, it, it dropped during the pandemic relief and then came back bigger than ever before when those emergency measures were were taken away. So mm-hmm. what do you got for us, Kelly? Yeah, so, um, you know, during during lockdown, I think the like, everybody kind of recalls that, like, the um, essential workforce was, you know, the, um, you're going to have, like, grocery store workers, retail, pharmacy, things like that, um, who didn't experience the same job losses as maybe you saw in... Um, restaurant industry, service industry in general. Um, so those industries took really big hits, you know, um, you know, three, four percent decline in the number of jobs in New Haven County, um, which kind of rebounded a little bit in um, the period of 2020 to 2022. Um, but now I think, you know, people are saying that Amazon is having big layoffs, for example, when they had previously expanded their workforce during and they're big here with the North ha- Haven plant, yeah. Yeah, I mean, all over Connecticut, I think they've got a pretty big footprint in the manufacturing industry in a lot of areas. Um, so, you know, that's another effect that we're seeing now is that these job creations, this, this expansion in certain industries is now um, refracting a little bit. And um, we'll, we'll have to see, you know, in the next year or so where those people end up. And you do have a community well-being index score. Is there an overall number or two overall numbers that tell us how well we're doing? Yeah. Um, so the index score is our measure of um, you know using using multiple indicators, for example, like unemployment or housing, um, housing affordability, homeownership rates. Like what um, if we can if we put all those together and we kind of assign an average score to them. Um, you know, across these eight indicators, what's the overall. Um, In Connecticut, so for all three books, you know, one of the things that we're finding is that um, in all three regions, Greater New Haven, Fairfield County, and Greater Hartford, um, there are some of the um, kind of worst-off neighborhoods and worst-off towns in the state alongside um, towns that are better than, you know, the highest-scoring places in the country. So, you know, what that says is that we're still seeing lots of um, the, the effects of segregation, basically, um, in, in Connecticut and these towns um, by those who have, you know, who score very highly on these, these metrics um, right alongside those who score 
more low. So did you find that the high scores are scoring higher than they did three years ago and the low scores are lower than three years ago or no? Um, it, it's, it's a little bit of a mix. Um, in some cases, yes. For example, like um, the outer ring towns in New Haven. So that's going to be um, Woodbridge, Bethany, Milford, Orange, uh, Granford, Guilford, Madison. Yes. Um, they, their score increased by about 3%. Um, between the last time we looked at this, so that would be between 2015 and 2020. Um, whereas New Haven, their score dropped 6%. Wait, 2015 to 2020? Mm-hmm. We're not doing through 2022? Oh, no, this is, um, so the most recent data that we have is 2020. <laughs> oh, so we don't have the pandemic data? Yeah, no. Okay. Um, so, of course, it's going to be very different from then. But and New Haven City dropped how much? 6%. Oh, Okay. So, Kelly, how did you get involved in this? How long have you been working at Data Haven? Where are you from? Um, I'm originally from San Antonio. I have moved all over the country, mostly in the Midwest. Um, I came here in 2019. I started working for Data Haven in 2019, so it's been... So you came here to work there? Yeah, I came what here What drew you here? Were you a data geek already? Yeah, I worked in a similar um, capacity in a uh, Indiana University. Okay. Mm -hmm. How are you liking it? I love New Haven. I, like I said, I was you know trying to buy a house here last year. I, I really love New Haven. Were you um, able to buy the house? I was not. Because the price is too high. Well, because I got outbid by cash every single time. Oh, and I was think, it the Slumlords or no? Um, I maybe it, I don't think that we we could have that information. But you were outbid, got cash every time. Every time, but and wow. And did again. you want to look at suburbs, or you really wanted to be in the city? Oh no, I need to stay in New Haven. Wow, yeah. that's incredible. Wonder, are you going to try again? Maybe in a few years. We'll see. We'll wow, well, that's, that's kind of an important data yeah. point there. <laughs> and, um, and tell me, when you're, when, when you're measuring well-being and happiness, how do you make sure you maintain that trust so that people across the ideological spectrum and the urban-suburban divide will trust your numbers? Like, how are they going to say, well, you're just trying to cook the numbers, so you're trying to get us to do something about issues we don't want to do something about? Um, I think that the inputs that we're using, especially for our community well-being index or community index scores, are pretty universal. For example, if we say that you know the home ownership rate in a place is you know for example twenty-five percent in a city like Hartford, that could be that could be better. You know, I think everybody could agree that that's not a sustainable thing for the city of Hartford. All right. Any final words you want us to know about community well-being or what you want people to do with the work or how they could find out more? Um, you know, I, again, ctdatahaven.org slash reports. We've got these three reports, and then we've also got, um, for each town in Connecticut, um, a, a kind of separate mini report that summarizes a lot of this okay. data. So that's been very useful for people that we've heard. Um, one of our more popular products available. Great. Well, Kelly, thanks so much for coming. Yep. Coming in. Kelly Davila, Senior Research Associate Data Haven. They just got done with a big lift. They're once every three years community well-being study at CTD datahaven.org and anything next what's your next big project oh we've got a lot on the table right now for um, different kinds of um, health reports mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. all right well keep up the good work yeah. and uh, we're gonna take a little break folks and come back with some other heroes in our community from the 911 call center in New Haven so take a break we're gonna listen to the Afro-Semitic experience performing I wish I knew how it feel to be free from the group CD a plea for peace Harry Droz at the controls is going to bring us back in 10 minutes with segment two on Dateline New Haven. Mm -hmm.